right. Hello, everyone. I'm Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast International Series, and I'm doing a special special interview right now. It's my first panel interview with British Dodgeball coaches, um, Catherine Thomas and Aiden Woodall. Uh, introduce yourself, guys. How long have you guys been coaching, and who do you coach for? You Starting with Catherine. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, so, hi, um, I'm Catherine. So, I play and coach at Nottingham Sheriffs, which is a community club based in Nottingham. So, I coach the men's seconds, which is our development team. And for I also coach the Wales Women International side. And we're quite a small coaching team there. So, that involves some helping out with the mixed and men's squads as well. And then historically, I started off at the University of Nottingham playing for Balls of Steel. So coached a fair bit there, women's and men's, and have historically done a bit of schools, teenagers coaching. I started coaching in 2014. So I guess this would have been my seventh season starting in September. Mm. And uh, Aidan? Very experienced, uh, Catherine. Um, so yeah, my name's Aidan. Hi. Um, I work in, in coaching, so I lead the coach education program for British Dodgeball. So in terms of kind of administrating courses and um, organizing basically anything to do with coaching and how we can develop the sport in that way in the country. Um, I'm a, an active coach as well. So I coach the Manchester Bees uh, men's first team. Um, I started at university as well, like Catherine. So I started at Manchester University um, 12 years ago now, quite a while. <laughs> um, and then kind of just professionally and things, just in terms of sort of coaching and things. Um, I used to be a professional sports coach and um, a trained teacher with kind of a PE, a physical education specialism as well. So um, the idea of sort of learning and teaching and coaching in a sports context is something that um, I absolutely love and I'm really interested in. Oh, wow. So you already have like a wealth, wealth of experience uh, even before dodgeball then? Mm, yeah, so I used to work in sort of schools, um, delivering kind of a whole range of sports and things. Oh, wow. Um, so I kind of wanted to like touch on this. Perfect that you hopped on. Uh, so thank you, uh, by the way. Uh, what started the whole coaching certification under British Dodgeball? Like who pioneered that? How has it flourished from when it began? And pretty much how long are the courses um, – and I'm probably like just running on and on. Uh, how long does it take for someone to hop on during the course to be qualified? So um, originally the courses came about because, um, I mean, it's probably the old national governing body before British Dodgeball, uh, UK Dodgeball or UK DBA. UK DBA. Um, that's, yeah, that, that started coaching courses. Um, I mean, in this country, it's a really common thing to have sort of coaching badges for different sports. Um, and it's just, it's a really good way of getting knowledge of your sport across so that it can be delivered in schools and things like that, um, which gets more players playing, gets more people involved and sort of grows your, you know, your network and your community as a sport, um, which means a bigger, a bigger community, more competitions, more leagues, more exposure and so on, um, all coming from kind of that, that grassroots level. So it, it came from there really. Um, in terms of the length and things of our qualifications, at the moment, compared to other sports, which kind of are accredited by um, certain sort of national level coaching organizations, 
they're a lot shorter and a lot cheaper and that's because our priority is getting as many people as possible with sort of a working level of dodgeball um to understand the game so they can play it in schools and so on and kind of act as, as ambassadors and we've got lots of those now so i think we did something like 500 people in the year before um the pandemic hit us oh wow and um, trained as kind of level two coaches so they're all going into schools into community clubs into youth organizations and delivering dodgeball so um yeah at the moment our level two which is kind of the most common qualification because that's one that sort of gives you the uh, ability to lead and to be ensured to deliver sessions on your own and um, that just takes one day to do at the moment now there might be some changes in the future to that but that's where it's at at the moment okay and uh, you kind of just touched on something i was going to touch on uh how many levels are there and what level of qualification let, like w- let's say for example um i wanted to coach england or northern ireland what level of coaching would i have to be qualified at to get there so we've got a whole range of introductory kind of level like workshops so they range from like three hours long or um, are available online now actually and they're just to kind of dip your toe in the water and get a really basic understanding of the sport uh, from there there's the level one qualification the level two qualification and the level three qualification so the level one you might use if you're working with um, community groups and people who um just want to sort of casually play dodgeball. Level two is a requirement for club coaches in the UK. And the level three is a requirement for international coaches and potentially building up to kind of the head coach of each club in the UK as well. That's the plan for the future. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty uh, lofty goals there. Um, hopefully yeah. once the pandemic is over with, um, I'm pretty sure we'll see more of that in the horizon. Um but Catherine, uh, I wanted to ask you, how was it like when you took the courses to uh, to be a coach? And what prior experiences did you have that led you to that decision? It was interesting listening to Aidan chat about it, because I think actually, looking back, the primary driver for a lot of people who got qualified when I did, which was only in my second year of playing dodgeball, is I think actually, Aidan, correct me if I'm wrong, from a, more of a child safety point of view, in that we had this charity arm of our dodgeball club and I was sort of strong arm slash really enthusiastic about getting more involved. So it was a requirement that I got a coaching qualification, as Aidan said, as part of the insurance for going to the schools because we ran the sessions just as two university um, undergraduate volunteers and I as something about insurance. But so that was my original driver. So I did the yeah the UK DBA one day level two in either late 2016 or early 2017. It was a, it was a really good fun day. I think it's a theme I always hear whenever I hear other people talking about dodgeball, even in like sort of communities around the world. It's just a group of people I like hanging out with. Um, people have really good attitudes towards it. Generally, I can't. I think it was Andy Moch, Aiden, if you want a real throwback, who ran my course. Oh, yeah. Um who was a really like a guy at that point who's since stepped away a little bit from the community, but he was really instrumental in eventually like putting five ball rules together, stuff like that. So he really knew his stuff, although this was three ball back in the day. UK um, Yeah. Hmm. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I did, I did my one day. Um, and then I suppose 
it was just really strongly encouraged by the rest of the people in my club because we were chatting a little bit sort of pre-recording about uni dodgeball is just such a production line of trying to make sure that the club has longevity because you know that you've only personally probably got three years I mean I cheated massively by staying at university forever but um (laughs) the club it has to constantly renew itself so if you get people in who are keen and decent and fairly good at dealing with people as a lot of dodgeballers are you want to get them confident qualified invested in making sure the club survives like the next round of recruitment so yeah I did the coaching I did my refing qualification in the same year and just carried both of those on just mainly as part of being helpful to the community I think especially at that stage what getting on for eight years ago we were in a sort of a bit of an odd phase of growth, I guess, Aidan, weren't we, as a community, in that it was just starting to really pick up and the quality of like the top leagues was getting really, really strong. And we just needed more people on the ground to actually sort of officiate and coach and continue the level of growth. Absolutely. So I know you're talking about university teams there, but kind of you've got to think we are a very young sport. We're um, we're in an amazing position with schools and things and all the statistics, you know, half a million children in the UK playing dodgeball every week in schools and all of this, which is great. But kind of in our community, and we are growing. And because we're a young sport with a young player base of people who have stayed on from university um, on the whole, um, we don't have that history of, you know, if you go into a cricket club in the UK or a netball club or something, you'll often find... Um, someone who's older who doesn't play anymore and they're either on the committee helping out and volunteering their time or they're acting as coaches or referees whereas at the moment we have such a young base of players that we don't have those older people yet who are kind of going to pass the torch on and going to keep the sport going in terms of the refereeing and the coaching so it's really important we have a pathway to develop that and keep these people in the sport as uh, like me their bodies grow old and <laughs> at some point <laughs> they've got to make that decision to stop playing <laughs> so um around what time frame would you say that the top level clubs and leagues were really picking up would you say it would be 2013 2014 like what year give or take i think you're probably best qualified to answer this one Ed, and it was it was definitely picking up as I because I it took me two years after I started playing to get into what was then DPL but it was already gaining massive momentum then I think you're about right there 2013 2014 what we did have though was we had a very very kind of deep skill set um but you know the players that were playing were just getting to better and better levels and kind of leading to like international success and stuff. But what we didn't have was kind of a broad player base. We didn't have, you know, tons and tons of leagues at the time. I think we had our first women's league in 20... I'm going to risk it and say, I think, 2013. Um, Before that, the women just had to play alongside the men. Um, Whereas now we have, or we had sort of, you know, six national men's leagues for different levels. two women's leagues and we're starting to develop a bit more of kind of a pyramid system you mean like a tier system yeah exactly okay <laughs> uh, pyramid <laughs> seems there's a different phrase here um oh <laughs> uh, well we use pyramid so if you think about pure player numbers the amount of kind of grassroots players at the bottom is a lot more than 
you know, the elite players at the top. Whereas I think in 2013, 2014, the community at whole was probably more of like a ladder. Um, so not so many at the bottom kind of feeding up to that higher level. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So are there any coaches, uh, whether in sport or people you know that inspired you to be the kind of coach that you are? And we could start with Catherine. Oh, that's quite an interesting one. I was I get asked this occasionally in a sort of work context because um, I work in science. Obviously, being a woman in science is sometimes something people want to talk about. I've never been really one of those people who sort of hang your hat on a role model. Um, it's interesting because Elisa said similar, didn't she? She's never not really the kind of person with like posters on your wall. Right. What I did, what I was watching a couple of weeks ago, because I'm an absolute anorak. Um, are you aware of Nigel Owens, the rugby referee? <laughs> Wait, what? I, I know the name. I know the sport. I've, I've watched the sport, but I feel like if I see uh, the face, I know who you're talking about. Right. I'll have to send you some clips after this. So essentially, um, I think it's I think it's more as I've developed, because I think especially starting to coach at a higher level where the player, obviously it means so much to the players and you realise how much of an impact you have on their enjoyment of the sport. And it's a sport that I love and have invested a huge amount of time in and love playing as well. So I think, as Aidan says, we're still really young and it leads to some really interesting sort of soul searching when you find yourself in a position of controlling someone else's experiences of it. Because you're also constantly flipping between being the person who's being coached and being the coach if you coach and play quite a lot like I do. So, um, yeah, the guy called Nigel Owens, who's just renowned in especially European rugby, he's a relatively short Welsh man who just absolutely owns any pitch that he walks out onto and demands and is given total respect. But he rarely raises his voice. He's always incredibly reasonable. And I think he's just got this demeanour of, I am leading by example. I know what I'm doing. I know what you need to do. And if everyone behaved within this standard we will have a good game of rugby and it will be great and I think although he's not a coach I think it's that kind of ability to lead by example and not ask anything of anyone else that you wouldn't expect from yourself I think that's something that I hold quite strongly as a principle behind when I coach and when I referee and I suppose also when I play but just being a consistent person with every hat that you have on because then you have integrity and then people actually do listen to you oh um yeah be sure to send me those clips because i like I, I feel like i know who you're talking about when you said short <laughs> he's the one who just like there's this amazing clip like so he's there sorting out some foul or something and the england captain at that point was chris robshaw who must be like getting on seven foot tall and obviously built like a tank comes like you see him stomping into shot behind him with a look that says like I need to talk to this man and Nigel obviously catches him out the corner of his eye and because he's all mic'd up for the cameras you just hear him go Christopher and Chris Robshaw just turns straight back around like no totally not worth it <laughs> and just goes back to do his team talk which is just like we're just going to do what Nigel says <laughs> just brilliant I'll find you a clip oh for sure uh Aiden um Okay, so two answers then. So kind of at a, at a higher level, so when I'm trying to coach sort of my club team, um, there's an old England rugby coach from maybe about 
10, 15 years ago um, called Clive Woodward. He's Sir Clive Woodward now. He was knighted in the UK. And his whole philosophy around um, coaching, I just find fascinating. And it's something I really try and adopt. And the main sort of facet of that that I love are how you simulate pressure. Um, there's no point in you know, doing these lovely, pretty drills with your team um, if they can't then replicate those skills when it matters at crunch time, when there's 30 seconds left in a set and your players are down. Um, so his whole thing was um, making it his job to make his players as uncomfortable as possible and to try and simulate that pressure all the time in different ways. Um, so that's certainly something I try and do at my club, and I'm sure some of the boys uh, don't like me for it, the amount of sprints and fitness <laughs> elements we end up doing. Um, and then at more of a kind of personal and relationship level, um, before I played dodgeball, I used to play a sport called handball, which I think um, Vince Marchbanks plays the beach version, actually, which I'm sure you, you know him over the pond. Yeah. Um, so I started playing that when I was 12 years old, um, and I loved it. It was a really good mix of kind of physicality and skill. And I ended up playing kind of internationally, um, and in the end was kind of in the conversation and as a reserve for the um, London Olympics in 2012. Oh, and wow. From starting playing at, at 12 years old up until um, even in the Olympic squad where he was an assistant Great Britain coach, I had a coach called Bill Bailey, and he was a Scottish man. Um, he was absolutely brilliant a really really good role model to to grow up and see kind of how our relationship changed um but the main things i learned from him i think was just how to approach uh different people how to adapt your approach um some people you know just needed picking up whereas some people um he was absolutely happy to you know to rag on and shout at and you could get the right response from them if he got them a little bit angry um so I think kind of just learning and understanding, you know, how everybody's different and how can you unpick that lock on someone to get the best possible performance out of them, um, but also to kind of get the best personal development out of them as well. All right. Um, now I'm going to hit you guys with some with a little curveball here. What traits did you feel that you had that led you to coaching and what traits do you feel you picked up that you didn't know you had? from coaching and we'll start with uh Catherine yeah that's a good one I think I I think I'm I'm a low-key extrovert so I, I like people and I like being around people and I especially like interacting and learning from other people like in their experiences and chatting about different things I think the bit the one of the reasons I was all, I will always be a huge advocate of I suppose it can happen in other places but what sport has done for me has given me a place where actually I can just basically show my strength of personality like I think I can come across quite strong I'm quite tall I'm quite loud like I can get a bit overexcited um <laughs> but I think it's given me a real place where strength strength of character sort of strength of opinion sometimes is a real asset in that I'm not afraid to stand up in a room full of a couple of hundred people like if I'm refing or coaching an international event and shout at the top of my lungs right so and so I need to talk to you team meeting in five 
doesn't matter what people think about what's just happened I've done my job like I'm there to do it people respect that and I think especially sort of coming into like I suppose from being a young adult to being a grown-up especially at university the confidence of having a position of sort of slight authority in a community that I felt really engaged with and really safe in just allowed me to develop a lot of confidence as a person and a lot of conviction in that I know that I can make decisions when I need to because a huge part of coaching is taking responsibility for tactical decisions um, substitution decisions stuff like that but also that um, strength isn't being rigid and it's not and it's definitely not refusing to take on other people's opinions because good coaching I believe is very collaborative and as Aidan just said sort of really eloquently you need to be able to adapt your approach to bring out the best in people because if you just go in with a one-size-fits-all it's my way or the highway you're if you're lucky in dodgeball you might get six people who that really works for but if you're unlucky you've got say two people who are really benefiting from what you're trying to do and really buying into what you want to do with them and then like eight people who'd rather be on the bench and that's not going to get you anywhere what about you Aidan? Hmm. And um, so I think honestly, the, the, the first thing that came to mind, it's a bit of a joke, but it's, it's probably a half truth really, is um, that I was the person willing to do it. Like oh, I said, it's so, it was... so true though. <laughs> Just everything in dodgeball, <laughs> stick your hand up and they'll make you like, make you whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we do have a background of, you know, we've got lots of 20 to 30 year olds playing now who are obviously sort of focusing on careers or maybe kind of getting to the point where they're focusing on really young families and things like that. So, uh, like I said, it, it does often fall down to kind of the worker bees, people who are happy to put a shift in just to, to support their friends at the club. Um, so I think that's why I started coaching. And then uh, from there, I think kind of the, the trait that's helped me most has probably come from my teaching qualification and just around like learning theory. Um, and I'm a big believer in rather than telling people what to do at a certain time, so you need to counter attack when, you know, this team do a certain kind of group throw or something, try and really get them understanding why they're doing it and using sort of deeper questioning and things like that to try and get every player on your team to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um so that's something I'm always looking to do. I'm always looking to kind of question in a certain way and make conversations and get people kind of reflecting on what they're doing in sessions and why they're doing it. Um, in terms of the biggest thing I've gained from coaching, I mean, it's just kind of, it's very internal. It's something I really, really enjoy when you've invested in a player. And I mean, whether that's, you know, a, a seven-year-old in a, primary school lesson or whether that's um you know one of these killer bees who's playing against one of the top teams in the country and when that player either well has success and you can define that in a performance way or you can just define that as you know they've improved at something and they're proud of themselves um i think i get a lot of internal sort of joy from that yeah um i can say that uh being a, a team captain like you kind of touched on a lot of things that I reflect on, you know, I like to not so much tell people what to do, but kind of give them a reason why and how it helps us overall. And I get a lot of that same enjoyment too. Um, 
with my team. Just when I see a player do something that maybe uh, six months ago they couldn't do, or when I see them perform in a situation where they're not panicking and they perform well, where they might've panicked before, that's really one of my greatest personal achievements as a team captain, uh, I guess, kind of similar to team coach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, oh, you were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, I completely agree. There's nothing there. Are, I've definitely coached matches that I enjoyed more than sort of, I've definitely enjoyed more coaching matches where one amazing thing happens that someone couldn't have done six months ago probably more than I've enjoyed playing matches that may well have been like maybe at a higher level or there was like the scoreline was more impressive or whatever but that feeling that you get when you watch someone make a step through their own hard work but when you know that you've been able to help them just like focus a little bit on a few different things and you've maybe helped them get there a bit quicker or meant that they haven't get up given up in getting there it's just so rewarding and I think the problem the thing with coaching is in a community as Aiden says where like ultimately people have a lot of different priorities and quite rightly a lot of priorities outside the community you have to enjoy something to stick with it because it's a lot of your time but I would agree with Aiden and like sounds like yourself that I do find coaching nine times out of ten like a really enjoyable (laughs) experience in its own right so you say you you enjoyed you had a, like a lot of uh, matches that you enjoyed coaching rather than playing. Is there any particular moment that stood out to you now that now that you brought that up? Oh, so best coaching moment. Be, this could be your opportunity to like shout out any player you you know you've seen oh, grow. God. Oh yeah, no, let's go there. You too, Aiden. Uh, <laughs> so. so to, for, but high highlight, absolute highlight. Um, my so I've only coached the Welsh women at two European champs, and then a couple of um, sort of internal. We do a Six Nations, Six Nations, three nations. What do we do, Aiden? Home nations. Oh home my god, nations, home nations. <laughs> Sorry, NEC. it's the NEC, right? Yeah, and then we've yeah, we've changed the format good. recently into like a like almost like a league where everyone tours around and you do like a weekend away. But so the first year I coached Wales, we came fifth um, in Euros, which was amazing. And I'd basically gone as a volunteer. Oh, I'm coming anyway to watch my boyfriend play. Like, if I can help, I'll help. Over the weekend, that turned into like a really amazing relationship. And the girls were amazingly receptive to having me help out. So I stayed on the next year and went to Newcastle and winning the. So what must it have been? Winning the quarterfinal to get into the semis yeah we were against Northern Ireland it was probably the best matchup we could have had in terms of like none of us could call it like I was actually stood there chatting to the Northern Ireland coach like like before the match being like who knows no anything could happen (laughs) and we yeah final set um standing there in the box like watching time tick down being like oh my god they've actually done it and yeah I burst into tears (laughs) um yeah, so that that was huge because it just meant so much to them. They all work so hard and they're still quite a young squad in terms of a lot of people have come in. A lot of people have come in quite recently. There's a few girls who've been there a while, but it's a very new dynamic at the moment. And I was really proud that we'd... Like building on fifth is a huge thing. Like fifth in Europe for a very small country with a relatively small dodgeball presence is huge. Um, but yeah, to like get 
into the semi-finals for crying out loud was fantastic was yeah, the, other... the... sorry oh no what i was gonna say was that the tournament and uh where and i interviewed amy last year where she left her trophy at the bar <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> ask her about that when i see her next oh, um it... oh, she's gonna hear about it she's gonna hear it yeah she's gonna yeah i'm just like amy I don't know. Um, I'd be surprised in a way, just the setup was slightly different. So I'd have thought logistically it would have been way easier to leave her thing at the bar in Italy. But, but um, <laughs> oh, every, oh, I lost my shoes in Italy. That was like, that was a heavy, a heavy night out for everyone. Um, but yeah, no, so but no, that was a good one. And then I'd really enjoy coaching seconds. So they play in the league below Super League. Um, and it's, an, it's always an interesting dynamic because a lot of those lads, they really want to be in the first team. So they're basically sort of sticking it out with me in the hope that the first team coaches and me will suddenly be like, oh, no, actually, I think this guy could really do a job in the first team. Um, but so there's a big range in experience and skill. But um, yeah, there's just been a couple of moments, especially when like you know how much it means for the guys to feel like they're putting their weight on the team because when it all goes well, they're towards the top of that league, like, at points we were kind of like oh actually can we push for promotion that would be exciting but it's like actually we're more mid-table and that's where we ended up that's perfectly fair but yeah there's just little moments a guy called Jack Breen who plays with us who the first few times when he first started playing for us every time we made a catch you do a proper like yeah it's just so <laughs> sweet which is which he'll kill me because it sounds so patronizing but I do I turn into everyone's like football mum and I'm just on the side being like yeah you go <laughs> <laughs> which uh, yeah, I think great certain people find really like uplifting certain people find acutely embarrassing so oh, I have to like tone it down for certain people but no there have been too many good moments to name back at uni watching girls who came in and were borderline terrified of throwing a ball or being hit by a ball suddenly like pick up a ball six months later and absolutely destroy one of the men's first team in a big game at the end of the day don't get better than that <laughs> oh, it clearly doesn't <laughs> What about you, Aiden? <laughs> um, oh God, I've had a really good think here, and there's there's three batches that come to mind. So I'm gonna not waffle on about them. I'll explain them very, very quickly. But then there's I think there's been kind of a connecting thread between all three of them. So the first one was um, last year at the British Open. Um, I'm not their official coach, but I was just coaching. I was kind of on the sidelines supporting our men's third team for Manchester Bees. And they were up against, I think this might have been like a an elimination or it was the last game in a group. Um, in a group. And they were playing Granite City Gorillas, who are the Scottish champions. And man for man, I do think the Granite City Gorillas were, were better than our third team. Um, just I think I watched this, Aiden. Uh, same. I watched it too. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was just such a fun game to play. I mean, they they play up in Scotland, I think, a really aggressive game where they, they look to open up lots of trades and they look to just charge down players and kind of defeat them with a real like sort of ferociousness rather than kind of um, closing down play, waiting for opportunities to make sort of group throws and things like that. Um, and... Our team, they just had this amazing focus where they, they were hungry, they wanted it, you know, probably knew they were underdogs. Um, and they were listening to absolutely every little tactical command that we were, we were giving, um, when to take the trades, when, no, we're up now, you can just stop, close it down, and then we've got 30 seconds left in this set where we're just going to finish it slowly. 
Um, and they, they played it incredibly, and they ended up winning that game, which was a, a real upset, um, which was amazing. The second one, I think, was probably the year before that in the mixed uh, league final. So the way this league worked was um, there were two groups, and kind of throughout the full season, you played against uh, the teams in your group twice, and then the top two teams from each group on the last day went to sort of a, a finals day. And in the finals, in fact, it wasn't even the finals, this was the semi-finals, but um, we were playing Leamington Spartans. And in mixed, it's obviously a very, very different game to uh, the men's or potentially the women's. Um, really, really tactical. You've got to kind of think about the value of each player on court and when it's right to kind of take opportunities and make yourself vulnerable. Because, you know, if I take a risk and I get one of their be better players out, um, if I'm immediately hit out, is that always worth it? And sometimes it actually isn't, but sometimes it definitely is to get the next player out and keep that kind of uh, trade going. Um, and again, the team that we had there just executed it to perfection. And again, we ended up winning that one. Um, I'll not go through the other one, but I think basically the, the games that I've just thought, wow, I've, it's been a pleasure to coach that. You've seen this sort of, a mixture of hunger, focus, determination, um, and it's everyone working together for that same same cause, like a really cohesive group. Wow! I don't know. Yeah, just a real pleasure to coach those games. <laughs> it's funny uh, when you mentioned the Granite City Gorillas matchup. Me and Catherine were both watching it from like, I guess, different uh, sidelines. Yeah. yeah, I think I think so. I remember I remember just being like, "Oh, they're really going for this one." Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I just remember thinking like, I think it was like towards the end of day one, right? Of yeah, the. Be it. Yeah, that was, that, um, that was that was a tough one. Just a, a great <laughs> atmosphere though. Like our boys were celebrating every little anything that went you know their way and things. It was a yeah, just it was rocking. I think that room then. How how did it feel like when you made the finals the next day? Yeah, that was good. Um, I mean, we <laughs> our team um, had played phenomenally that day, um, the day before. Sorry to qualify, uh, we hadn't dropped many sets at all, and again, we kind of walked through up until the final, um, where London Storm had our number, the kind of wall to wall game. Um, rather than kind of a net behind you, really benefited their, their powerful attacking game that day. I think they uh, they smashed us, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> no, it was really good overall and kind of lessons to take from it as well when we did lose. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, London, London Storm wall-to-wall. -wall. Like, what do you do? Apart from just curving a ball and hope it's over soon. I mean, especially with, um, and I, I kind of touched on it before, with Stephen Dumba. He was on another form that day. <laughs> yeah um, he was a man on a mission like i was following their their uh matchups on day two and the there was a big switch in his head that went off between day one and day two and he was like all right i'm gonna put this whole team on my back and we're gonna we're gonna make something of this like i saw that look i saw that like that light switch in his eyes and i was like i uh, pray for everyone he, he throws that <laughs> yeah yeah so tactically they made a big switch as well because i think in the first day when we we were watching them um they were nowhere near as aggressive as the second day. You know, they were keeping quite a few balls back for defense and things like that. Whereas in that final, I remember we, 
Um, we had our first like sort of runoff and quick trade against them, and we had one ball on our team. I was having that on the wing, and then um, so they had four balls, and I was like, okay, what's going here? When where can I put pressure on and things? And he didn't even try and hide his call. Steve just looked at me and went, "Yep, yeah, we're all going at him." <laughs> they they didn't hold a single kind of like ball back for defense or anything like that. Um, and that was that sort of real gungo risk-taking attitude that, that won it. I mean, I know in that opportunity, I think I, I pre-threw and I definitely got a hit. So it was a one-for-one trade, but the ball just bounced back, went straight back to them and they just recycled and just started churning through. Oh, love a bit of wall-to-wall, but yeah, not against London. So. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like arcade dodgeball, isn't it? It's uh, very different. It's so quick. I and mean, just, yeah, frantic it's if it goes wrong. Yeah, and it just triggers that like instinct of fight or flight, and like I feel like for me that's the best way to learn how to play, because ultimately it comes down to your instincts as well as your intellect. I mean, you yeah, can be you the definitely gotta player. train yourself out of certain things. Like, yeah, if, if if you can't do it in a crisis, it's just not gonna happen on court, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, did, did anyone film that final? I'm not sure. May might be up on our club's um, YouTube. I can have a check for you. Yeah, I've been I've been looking for that for the better part of the year, and it's like uh, <laughs> I just want to relive some good times to get over this pandemic feels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, we're about to wrap this up in a bit, and um, first off, I want to say thank you guys for hopping on and sharing with us. Uh, not only what it takes, what the courses are and what it takes to be a coach, but some of your personal insight and some of your personal stories. Uh, but I also wanted to touch on a theme of this year, season five being the theme of legacy. Every guest I have on, I ask them at the end of the interview um, what you would like to leave behind as a coach, as a player, overall as a dodgeball member of the, of the family internationally. What would you like to leave behind, what would you like to be remembered by, by the last time you left, leave the court? So we'll start with uh, Catherine. So I think, A, I think it's just such a fabulous theme. I think especially as like with the European move to WDBF, I feel like were it not for COVID, there was such huge energy and a real like sort of forward looking feeling, I think across, as you say, the Dodgeball family um, last year. So I think, yeah, I think what the thing I, at the minute about Dodgeball said, you can't separate yourself as a player and a coach or a player and a referee or whatever. So I think the main thing in terms of legacy, generally, I'd just be happy if everyone who I'd played against thought that, hey, there's a person that sort of took their outs, was did the sporting thing, was fun to play against as well as with, and really sort of, showed what the sport should be and what can be in terms of, I think, especially um, I listened to the episode talking about um, like marketing and the problems with schools in the US and dodgeball having a really bad rep in some places. And I think it's within our hands to turn around and be like, no, okay, but this is what dodgeball players are. So if you have kids looking up to that rather than just thinking like, oh yeah, cool, I get to leather a ball at my mate. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really powerful thing. I think from a coaching perspective, 
I just really hope that everyone who I work with who has given me the honor of their time and attention feels like that was worth it in some way feels that they got some benefit from putting trust in in me and it helped them with either their enjoyment with their technique with their goals in the sport and that it was just a net positive it's never going to be as simple as everyone every time you interact it's all hugs and kisses and that'd be a bit weird actually it's all um yeah it's all all smiles and everyone everything I touch yeah everything I touch turns to gold but I just want to have been a net positive experience in someone's dodgeball journey I guess which sounds a bit Hollywood but there we go yeah there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) all right what about you Aiden what would you like your legacy to be once it's all said and done for you um, so I think the first thing is it's about connections. You know, I play because um, it's such a lovely community, uh, both within my club and you know in the wider community, um, and it's it's like a family. And you know, I mentioned that coach who was a role model to me when I was younger, uh, Bill Bailey. If anyone could ever kind of have similar thoughts and feelings about me and the work I've done with them, then that would be enough, you know, someone who's pushed me to be better and um, on court, but also off court, kind of a better person as well, uh, more confident, more um, assertive when I need to be, um, more adaptable, more understanding, um, more focused and more driven. And yeah, if I had that effect on anybody else, that would absolutely be enough. Um from a more selfish per- point of view, I'd like to keep on sort of making, you know, memories. I think if you see, speak to some older players, and I say older, loosely kind of, you know, approaching 30, just over 30 type things, you tend to hear a lot of them saying similar things. And they're all really appreciative of the time they've had. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily always about the winning and the losing. It's about the the memories you've made on the way, that sort of journey to better yourself um, and whether that's on your own or as a club. So I think that um, from a professional's perspective, I think just, we've touched on it a couple of times, but just um, increasing the workforce um, in our country, getting more referees involved, getting more coaches who are just purely coaches um, once maybe their playing careers are over and getting them to sort of stay within the sport. Um, so I think those are the people that um, can do just such incredible work with young people and really grow our community more nice um and i can honestly say both of you guys are i don't want to say well on your way because we still have a lot of game to be played but i think you guys will achieve that and more more than you know um but also uh didn't actually want to forget to wish you a happy belated birthday aiden um what'd you do (laughs) (laughs) how'd you celebrate so (laughs) um i just went on a walk with a couple of friends as as is legally allowed in the uk um i mean it's my second one in lockdown so that's that's really gutting so uh you're allowed to have some friends over in the garden and things like that as of yesterday so um that's just some of that i think while the weather's nice i think it's meant to snow in a week's time or something over here so not that long though (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to end this episode without uh, wishing you a happy birthday. Um, but also, uh, this is going to be before, and I probably said this already. Before we wrap this up, any f- 
any funny stories you have that you'd like to share uh, from a coaching perspective, whether it be from the national level, whether it be in any level, any funny stories you'd like to share that you've seen or have taken part of? Did you Kevin? release a story now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she, I don't know if she'll thank me for this one or not. It's it's all good stuff. So one of the, one of the reasons, um, I know there's a lot of us, I think, have been reflecting on like our commitments, where we want to spend our time sort of after lockdown. And the one thing I would say, like echoing what Aidan said, like we just need more people, especially in coaching, because it's quite a lot if you want to play and coach at the same time. So I've been thinking a bit about where I want to spend my time. But I like I do really want to continue like with Wales. And one of the reasons is the girls just like they've been so trusting and they're so willing to buy into what I'm prepared to present. So Wales sessions can like we have quite a laid back atmosphere, like everyone works really hard, but it can be a bit chaotic at times. So every now and then I'm not 100 percent paying attention with what I'm telling people to do. So there's two, probably two examples of good things that happened at a Wales session. One was Elisa is, um, while ever so occasionally we butt heads slightly on court under pressure because she's very competitive, I'm very competitive. Sometimes I have to tell her things she doesn't want to hear. She appreciates it, but maybe not in the moment. She does trust me and she trusts me so much that we were doing a drill with one of the newer girls and I was like, oh, right. Elisa, so she normally plays wing and I just had a bit of a brain fart and I was like, oh, Elisa, come and play left-hand wing which is, of course, completely the opposite of a normal position. <laughs> she said absolutely nothing. Did the drill for a strong 10 minutes, doing, like, essentially, because she doesn't normally call, she's normally lead counter with Amy, doing all the calling, doing all of this. And I just, I was like, went and did, like, sorted out some other drills, some of the people came back, literally, I was like, this just looks wrong. Like, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> and I was like, it took me, like, genuinely about seven minutes to figure out. I was, I was like, Elisa, why do you, like hang on a minute you don't normally play there do you and she's like no no I don't I was like why didn't you say anything she's like well you're my coach and I trust you and I was like oh my god right fantastic which is really sweet (laughs) but equally just a bit like oh god Um, totally my mistake and I do want her to call more so it's her her fault for going along with it because no one knows she can do it um (laughs) Yeah, the other one, which is just really quick, was we decided a bit before Newcastle Euros that um, leaps of faith um, would be quite a, could be quite advantageous for us, like especially once you get to sort of European five ball level, they're a pre, can be quite devastating if you use them properly. So, because uh, the Wales training sessions aren't particularly aren't huge, like we tend to have about sort of maybe max out at say fifty people, so you can all do the same thing quite easily in a big hall. So we decided that the easiest thing to do would just be to get everyone to try leaps of faith and I was like all right cool like sometimes I join in playing to boost numbers sometimes I like stand on side I was like oh, okay I don't mind being a target that was a really <laughs> stupid idea so um <laughs> after like two goes I don't know if you guys so Aiden knows Liam um so a couple of our guys like over six foot tall like when they jump at you and they're only about sort of six meters away from you and in the air and throwing full tilt like it's not the most fun thing in the world but they had these big like wheelie bins in the sports hall for all your rubbish so in the end I spent 10 minutes of my Sunday at Wales International Training crouched behind a wheelie bin which is like a I don't know like the big garbage cans that you put out on the street for the garbage men um (laughs) crouched behind that holding it up as it just got absolutely belted by the Welsh International Men's Squad 
and they uh, had a bit of a think about my priorities in life <laughs> and just <laughs> what on earth I was doing with my time. But we did, in the end, use the leap of faith effectively at Euros, so it was all completely worth it. <laughs> Were you referring to uh, Liam Ryder? Yeah. Oh my God. Don't start. Don't. If he says, "Can I suicide you for practice?" Sorry, like leap of faith. Just don't agree. It's terrifying. He's a very lovely man, but it was a bit like it was a bit awful. Yeah, I'm wired the wrong way. I'll probably say, yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> what about you, Aiden? Um, okay, so this this was just a happy little memory I've got. Was always make me chuckle. Um, it was about five years ago when I was playing for our men's second team. Um, I was throwing with my other arm actually at the time because I'd, ha- I'd had like labral repair surgery on my left shoulder, my dominant arm. Um, so that was a whole interesting challenge in itself. But um, we had a player on that team called Andrew Lauther and he was just absolutely comical. I think he just had a way about him that seemed so aggressive all the time. <laughs> Um, until whilst he's on court anyway, when he's off court, super softly spoken, uh, quite funny, happy, easygoing chat. And I remember we were in quite a close game. Um, I think we were in Leicester playing, and he is on the wings. He's a really tall guy, uh, really long legs, fast up court for sort of counters and things. And he, as he was stepping up to counter, he kind of fainted to his right, and he stepped on the boundary line. So. The referee, thinking nothing of it really, calls him out. He doesn't really realise, so he carries on to go and run and counter. As he's about maybe three steps away, the referee calls him out again. And the kind of normal reaction would just be to stop. You might ask why, but, you know, you'd walk off. Um, He changed direction and started tearing towards the referee. And this referee was, I mean, I think she was about five foot three and he's about six foot six. Steaming, to, steaming towards her with a dodgeball. And then I think in his head, he's like, excuse me, referee, can you explain why I'm out? Whereas what he actually did was steam towards her until he's about maybe a foot away from her. And then just screaming, what was that for? And it was just one of those moments. Remember, our entire team were just sort of, taken out of the moment completely and we just all completely broke down laughing <laughs> so that's a good moment <laughs> he got yellow carded i was gonna say i think i know who the ref was <laughs> <laughs> oh man it, it's the moments like that that keeps us coming back is that right oh i just want, i just want to laugh again like like league is amazing and i enjoy playing at a high level like it's like watching the guys it's so impressive but there's just the moments where the reason i keep playing dodgeball is because there's all the really cool athletic stuff but there's also the moments where like that poor that gif of is it sam richards from spartans going to do like the best throw of his life and just stacking it over the center line and falling over (laughs) but it's at moments like that where it can be like the most tense moment ever but if something a bit slapstick happens, the whole oh. room is going to wet themselves laughing because you can't take yourself too seriously because otherwise, otherwise you're just like, that way madness lies in this sport because it's all so personal, isn't it? You invest so much. But yeah, just, yeah, I had a moment where um, I threw the other team, blocked it. I was running backwards and the other, I just saw this look of like complete horror 
on the opposition team. And I was like, oh my God, that's really weird. Maybe they think the other girl's going to completely like belt me with this counter. Turns out, and then it felt a ball land on my head, which was the ball that they just blocked back at me, <laughs> which is just done <laughs> a complete, a complete loop. <laughs> and then smacked me on the head, but like proper like Chuckle Brothers. I never saw it. I never, I didn't even see it bounce off me. And I was just there like, I'm out, aren't I? And the whole opposition team was just like trying not to actively laugh in my face. But they're just nodding really sadly, like, yes, Catherine, you're out. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> and, on that, and on that note, we will end it here. Yes. Testing, testing. Testing. Oh, wait, let me... One. All right, hello, everyone. I'm Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast International Series, and I'm doing a special special interview right now. It's my first panel interview with British Dodgeball coaches, um, Catherine Thomas and Aiden Woodall. Uh, introduce yourself, guys. How long have you guys been coaching, and who do you coach for? You Starting with Catherine. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, so hi, um, I'm Catherine. So I play and coach at Nottingham Sheriffs, which is a community club based in Nottingham. So I coach the men's seconds, which is our development team. And for I also coach the Wales women international side. And we're quite a small coaching team there. So that involves some helping out with the mixed and men's squads as well. And then historically, I started off at the University of Nottingham playing for Balls of Steel. So coached a fair bit there, women's and men's, and have historically done a bit of schools, teenagers coaching. I started coaching in 2014. So I guess this would have been my seventh season starting in September. Mm. And uh, Aidan? Very experienced, uh, Catherine. Um, so yeah, my name's Aidan. Hi. Um, I work in, in coaching, so I lead the coach education program for British Dodgeball. So in terms of kind of administrating courses and um, organizing basically anything to do with coaching and how we can develop the sport in that way in the country. Um, I'm a, an active coach as well. So I coach the Manchester Bees uh, men's first team. Um, I started at university as well, like Catherine. So I started at Manchester University um, 12 years ago now, quite a while. <laughs> um, and then kind of just professionally and things, just in terms of sort of coaching and things. Um, I used to be a professional sports coach and um, a trained teacher with kind of a PE, a physical education specialism as well. So um, the idea of sort of learning and teaching and coaching in a sports context is something that um, I absolutely love and I'm really interested in. Oh, wow. So you already have like a wealth, wealth of experience uh, even before dodgeball then? Mm, yeah, so I used to work in sort of schools, um, delivering kind of a whole range of sports and things. Oh, wow. Um, so I kind of wanted to like touch on this. Perfect that you hopped on. Uh, so thank you, uh, by the way. Uh, what started the whole coaching certification under British Dodgeball? Like who pioneered that? How has it flourished from when it began? And pretty much how long are the courses um, – and I'm probably like just running on and on. Uh, how long does it take for someone to hop on during the course to be qualified? 
So um, originally the courses came about because, um, I mean, it's probably the old national governing body before British Dodgeball, uh, UK Dodgeball or UK DBA. UK DBA. Um, that's, yeah, that, that started coaching courses. Um, I mean, in this country, it's a really common thing to have sort of coaching badges for different sports. Um, and it's just, it's a really good way of getting knowledge of your sport across so that it can be delivered in schools and things like that. Um, which gets more players playing, gets more people involved and sort of grows your, you know, your network and your community as a sport, um, which means a bigger, a bigger community, more competitions, more leagues, more exposure and so on, um, all coming from kind of that, that grassroots level. So it, it came from there, really. Um, in terms of the length and things of our qualifications, at the moment, compared to other sports, which kind of are accredited by... Um, certain sort of national level coaching organizations, they're a lot shorter and a lot cheaper. And that's because our priority is getting as many people as possible with sort of a working level of dodgeball um, to understand the game so they can play it in schools and so on and kind of act as, as ambassadors. And we've got lots of those now. So I think we did something like 500 people in the year before um, the pandemic hit us. Oh, wow. And um, trained as kind of level two coaches. So they're all going into schools, into community clubs, into youth organizations and delivering dodgeball. So, um, yeah, at the moment, our level two, which is kind of the most common qualification, because that's one that sort of gives you the uh, ability to lead and to be ensured to deliver sessions on your own. And um, that just takes one day to do at the moment. Now, there might be some changes in the future to that, but that's where it's at at the moment. Okay, and uh, you kind of just touched on something I was going to touch on. Uh, how many levels are there and what level of qualification? Let, like, w let's say, for example, um, I wanted to coach England or Northern Ireland. What level of coaching would I have to be qualified <laughs> at to get there? So we've got a whole range of introductory kind of level like workshops. So they range from like three hours long or um, are available online now, actually. And they're just to kind of dip your toe in the water and get a really basic understanding of the sport. Uh, from there, there's the level one qualification, the level two qualification, and the level three qualification. So the level one you might use if you're working with um, community groups and people who um, just want to sort of casually play dodgeball. Level two is a requirement for club coaches in the UK. And the level three is a requirement for international coaches and potentially building up to kind of the head coach of each club in the UK as well. That's the plan for the future. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty uh, lofty goals there. Um, hopefully yeah. once the pandemic is over with, um, I'm pretty sure we'll see more of that in the horizon. Um, but Catherine, uh, I wanted to ask you, how is it like when you took the courses to, uh, to be a coach? And what prior experiences did you have that led you to that decision? It was interesting listening to Aidan chat about it, because I think actually, looking back, the primary driver for a lot of people who got qualified when I did, which was only in my second year of playing dodgeball, is I think actually, Aidan, correct me if I'm wrong, from a, more of a child safety point of view, in that we had this charity arm of our dodgeball club, and I was sort of strong arm slash really enthusiastic about getting more involved. So it was a requirement that I got a coaching qualification, as Aidan said, as part of the insurance for going to the schools, because we ran the sessions just as two university um, undergraduate volunteers. 
and I something about insurance but so that was my original driver so I did the yeah the UK DBA one day level two in either late 2016 or early 2017 it was it was a really good fun day I think it's a theme I always hear whenever I hear other people talking about dodgeball even in like sort of communities around the world it's just a group of people I like hanging out with um people have really good attitudes towards it generally I can't I think it was Andy Mutch Aiden if you want a real throwback who ran my course um who was a really like a guy at that point who's since stepped away a little bit from the community but he was really instrumental in eventually like putting five ball rules together stuff like that so he really knew his stuff although this was three ball back in the day UK Um, yeah Hmm. so um (laughs) so yeah I did I did my one day um and then I suppose it was just really strongly encouraged by the rest of the people in my club because we were chatting a little bit sort of pre-recording about uni dodgeball is just such a production line of trying to make sure that the club has longevity because you know that you've only personally probably got three years. I mean, I cheated massively by staying at university forever, but um, (laughs) the club, it has to constantly renew itself. So if you get people in who are keen and decent and, fairly good at dealing with people as a lot of dodgeballers are you want to get them confident qualified invested in making sure the club survives like the next round of recruitment so yeah I did the coaching I did my refing qualification in the same year and just carried both of those on just mainly as part of being helpful to the community I think especially at that stage what getting on for eight years ago we were in a sort of a bit of an odd phase of growth, I guess, Aidan, weren't we, as a community, in that it was just starting to really pick up and the quality of like the top leagues was getting really, really strong. And we just needed more people on the ground to actually sort of officiate and coach and continue the level of growth. Absolutely. So I know you were talking about university teams there, but kind of you've got to think we are a very young sport. We're um, we're in an amazing position with schools and things and all the statistics, you know, half a million children in the UK playing dodgeball every week in schools and all of this, which is great. But kind of in our community, and we are growing. And because we're a young sport with a young player base of people who have stayed on from university um, on the whole, um, we don't have that history of, you know, if you go into a cricket club in the UK or a netball club or something, you'll often find... Um, someone who's older who doesn't play anymore and they're either on the committee helping out and volunteering their time or they're acting as coaches or referees whereas at the moment we have such a young base of players that we don't have those older people yet who are kind of going to pass the torch on and going to keep the sport going in terms of the refereeing and the coaching so it's really important we have a pathway to develop that and keep these people in the sport as uh, like me their bodies grow old and <laughs> at some point they've got to make that decision to stop playing <laughs> so um around what time frame would you say that the top level clubs and leagues were really picking up would you say it would be 2013 2014 like what year give or take i think you're probably best qualified to answer this one Ed, and it was it was definitely picking up as I because I it took me two years after I started playing to get into what was then DPL but it was already gaining massive momentum then I think you're about right there 2013 2014 what we did have though was we had a very very kind of deep skill set 
um, but you know, the players that were playing were just getting to better and better levels and kind of leading to like international success and stuff. But what we didn't have was kind of a broad player base. We didn't have, you know, tons and tons of leagues at the time. I think we had our first women's league in 20, I'm going to risk it and say, I think 2013. Um, before that, the women just had to play alongside the men. Um, whereas now we have, or we had sort of, you know, six national men's leagues for different levels, um, two women's leagues, and we're starting to develop a bit more of kind of a pyramid system. You mean like a tier system? Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, pyramid seems is a different phrase here. Um. <laughs> uh, well, we use pyramid. So if you think about pure player numbers, the amount of kind of grassroots players at the bottom is a lot more than you know, the, the elite top. players at the top. Whereas I think in 2013, 2014, the community at whole was probably more of like a ladder. Um, so not so many at the bottom kind of feeding up to that higher level. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So are there any coaches, uh, whether in sport or people, you know, that inspired you to be the kind of coach that you are? And we can start with Catherine. Oh, that's quite an interesting one. I was <laughs> I get asked this occasionally in a sort of work context because um, I work in science. Obviously, being a woman in science is sometimes something people want to talk about. I've never been really one of those people who sort of hang your hat on a role model um it's interesting because elisa said similar didn't she she's never not really the kind of person with like posters on your wall right. what i did what i was watching a couple of weeks ago because i'm an absolute anorak um are you aware <laughs> of nigel owens the rugby referee <laughs> Wait, what i i know the name i know the sport I, i've watched the sport but i feel like if i see uh, the face i know who you're talking about right i'll have to send you some clips after this so essentially um <laughs> I think it's I think it's more as I've developed because I think especially starting to coach at a higher level where the player obviously it means so much to the players and you realize how much of an impact you have on their enjoyment of the sport and it's a sport that I love and have invested a huge amount of time in and love playing as well so I think as Aiden says we're still really young and it leads to some really interesting sort of soul searching when you find yourself in a position of controlling someone else's experiences of it because you're also constantly flipping between being the person who's being coached and being the coach if you coach and play quite a lot like I do so um yeah the guy called Nigel Owens who's just renowned in especially European rugby he's a relatively short Welsh man who just absolutely owns any pitch that he walks out onto and demands and is given total respect but he rarely raises his voice he's always incredibly reasonable and I think he's just got this demeanour of, I am leading by example. I know what I'm doing. I know what you need to do. And if everyone behaves within this standard, we will have a good game of rugby and it will be great. And I think, although he's not a coach, I think it's that kind of ability to lead by example and not ask anything of anyone else that you wouldn't expect from yourself. I think that's something that I hold quite strongly as a principle behind when I coach and when I referee and I suppose also when I play but just being a consistent person with every hat that you have on because then you have integrity and then people actually do listen to you oh um yeah be sure to send me those clips because I like I, I feel like I know who you're talking about when you said short 
he's the one who just like there's this amazing clip like so he's there sorting out some foul or something and the England captain at that point was Chris Robshaw who must be like getting on seven foot tall and obviously built like a tank comes like you see him stomping into shot behind him with a look that says like I need to talk to this man and Nigel obviously catching out the corner of his eye and because he's all mic'd up for the cameras you just hear him go Christopher and Chris Robshaw just turns straight back around like no totally not worth it <laughs> and just goes back to do his team talk which is essentially just like we're just going to do what Nigel says <laughs> just brilliant I'll find you a clip oh for sure uh Aiden um Okay, so two answers then. So kind of at a higher level, so when I'm trying to coach sort of my club team, um, there's an old England rugby coach from maybe about 10, 15 years ago um, called Clive Woodward. He's Sir Clive Woodward now. He was knighted in the UK. And his whole philosophy around um, coaching, I just find fascinating, and it's something I really try and adopt. And the main sort of facet of that that I love are how you simulate pressure. Um, there's no point in you know doing these lovely, pretty drills with your team um, if they can't then replicate those skills when it matters at crunch time, when there's 30 seconds left in a set and your players are down. Um, so his whole thing was um, making it his job to make his players as uncomfortable as possible and to try and simulate that pressure all the time in different ways. Um, so that's certainly something I try and do at my club, and I'm sure some of the boys uh, don't like me for it, the amount of sprints and fitness <laughs> elements we end up doing. Um, and then at more of a kind of personal and relationship level, um, before I played dodgeball, I used to play a sport called handball, which I think um, Vince Marchbanks plays the beach version, actually, which I'm sure you, you know him over the pond. Yeah. Um, so I started playing that when I was 12 years old um, and I loved it. It was a really good mix of kind of physicality and skill. And I ended up playing kind of internationally um, and in the end was kind of in the conversation and as a reserve for the um, London Olympics in 2012. Oh, and wow. From starting playing at 12 years old up until um, even in the Olympic squad where he was an assistant Great Britain coach, I had a coach called Bill Bailey, and he was a Scottish man. Um, he was absolutely brilliant, a really, really good role model to, to grow up and see kind of how our relationship changed. Um, but the main things I learned from him, I think, was just how to approach uh, different people, how to adapt to your approach. Um, some people, you know, just needed picking up, whereas some people, um, he was absolutely happy to, you know, to rag on and shout at and you could get the right response from them if he got them a little bit angry. Um, so I think kind of just learning and understanding, you know, how everybody's different and how can you unpick that lock on someone to get the best possible performance out of them, um, but also to kind of get the best personal development out of them as well. All right. Um, now I'm going to hit you guys with some with a little curveball here. What traits did you feel that you had that led you to coaching? And what traits do you feel you picked up that you didn't know you had from coaching? And we'll start with uh, Catherine. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I, I think I'm, I'm a low-key extrovert. So I, I like people. And I like being around people and I especially like 
interacting and learning from other people like in their experiences and chatting about different things I think the bit the one of the reasons I was all I will always be a huge advocate of I suppose it can happen in other places but what sport has done for me has given me a place where actually I can just basically show my strength of personality like I think I can come across quite strong I'm quite tall I'm quite loud like I can get a bit overexcited um but I think it's given me a real place where strength strength of character sort of strength of opinion sometimes is a real asset in that I'm not afraid to stand up in a room full of a couple of hundred people like if I'm refing or coaching an international event and shout at the top of my lungs right so and so I need to talk to you team meeting in five doesn't matter what people think about what's just happened I've done my job like I'm there to do it people respect that and I think especially sort of coming into like I suppose from being a young adult to being a grown-up especially at university the confidence of having a position of sort of slight authority in a community that I felt really engaged with and really safe in just allowed me to develop a lot of confidence as a person and a lot of conviction in that I know that I can make decisions when I need to because a huge part of coaching is taking responsibility for tactical decisions um, substitution decisions stuff like that but also that um, strength isn't being rigid and it's not and it's definitely not refusing to take on other people's opinions because good coaching I believe is very collaborative and as Aidan just said sort of really eloquently you need to be able to adapt your approach to bring out the best in people because if you just go in with a one-size-fits-all it's my way or the highway you're if you're lucky in dodgeball you might get six people who that really works for but if you're unlucky you've got say two people who are really benefiting from what you're trying to do and really buying into what you want to do with them and then like eight people who'd rather be on the bench and that's not going to get you anywhere what about you Aidan hmm and um, so I think honestly, the, the, the first thing that came to mind, it's a bit of a joke, but it's, it's probably a half truth really, is um, that I was the person willing to do it. Like oh, I said, it's so, it's so true though. <laughs> Just everything in dodgeball, <laughs> stick your hand up and they'll make you like, make you whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we do have a background of, you know, we've got lots of 20 to 30 year olds playing now who are obviously sort of focusing on careers or maybe kind of getting to the point where they're focusing on really young families and things like that. So, uh, like I said, it, it does often fall down to kind of the worker bees, people who are happy to put a shift in just to, to support their friends at the club. Um, so I think that's why I started coaching. And then from there, I think kind of the, the trait that's helped me most has probably come from my teaching qualification and just around like learning theory. Um, and I'm a big believer in rather than telling people what to do at a certain time, so you need to counterattack when, you know, this team do a certain kind of group throw or something, try and really get them understanding why they're doing it and using sort of deeper questioning and things like that to try and get every player on your team to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um so that's something I'm always looking to do. I'm always looking to kind of question in a certain way and make conversations and get people kind of reflecting on what they're doing in sessions and why they're doing it. Um, in terms of the biggest thing I've gained from coaching, I mean, it's 
just kind of it's very internal it's something i really really enjoy when you've invested in a player and i mean whether that's you know a, a seven-year-old in a primary school lesson or whether that's um you know one of these killer bees who's playing against one of the top teams in the country and when that player either well has success and you can define that in a performance way or you can just define that as you know they've improved at something and they're proud of themselves um i think i get a lot of internal sort of joy from that yeah um i can say that uh being a, a team captain like you kind of touched on a lot of things that I reflect on, you know, I like to not so much tell people what to do, but kind of give them a reason why and how it helps us overall. And I get a lot of that same enjoyment too um, with my team. Just when I see a player do something that maybe uh, six months ago they couldn't do, or when I see them perform in a situation where they're not panicking and they perform well, where they might have panicked before, that's really one of my greatest personal achievements as a team captain, uh, I guess, kind of similar to team coach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, oh, you were going to say something? I was just going to say, I completely agree. There's nothing there. Are, I've definitely coached matches that I enjoyed more than sort of, I've definitely enjoyed more coaching matches where one amazing thing happens that someone couldn't have done six months ago probably more than I've enjoyed playing matches that may well have been like maybe at a higher level or there was like the scoreline was more impressive or whatever but that feeling that you get when you watch someone make a step through their own hard work but when you know that you've been able to help them just like focus a little bit on a few different things and you've maybe helped them get there a bit quicker or mean meant that they haven't get up given up in getting there it's just so rewarding and I think the problem the thing with coaching is in a community as Aiden says where like ultimately people have a lot of different priorities and quite rightly a lot of priorities outside the community you have to enjoy something to stick with it because it's a lot of your time but I would agree with Aiden and like sounds like yourself that I do find coaching nine times out of ten like a really enjoyable <laughs> experience in its own right so you say you you've enjoyed a, you had a, like a lot of uh, matches that you enjoyed coaching rather than playing. Is there any particular moment that stood out to you now that now that you brought that up? Oh, so best coaching moment. Be, this could be your opportunity to like shout out any player you've you know you've seen oh, grow. God. Oh yeah, no, let's go there. You too, Aiden. Uh, <laughs> so. To, for, but high highlight absolute highlight um my so i've only coached the welsh women at two european champs and then a couple of um sort of internal we do a six nations six nations three no what do we do aiden home nations oh home my god nations. home nations <laughs> sorry NEC. it's the nec right yeah and then we've yeah, we've changed the format right. recently into like a like almost like a league where everyone tours around and you do like a weekend away but so the first year I coached Wales, we came fifth um, in Euros, which was amazing. And I'd basically gone as a volunteer. Oh, I'm coming anyway to watch my boyfriend play. Like, if I can help, I'll help. Over the weekend, that turned into like a really amazing relationship. And the girls were amazingly receptive to having me help out. So I stayed on the next year and went to Newcastle and winning the. So what must it have been? Winning the quarterfinal to get into the semis 
yeah we were against Northern Ireland. It was probably the best matchup we could have had in terms of like, none of us could call it. Like I was actually stood there chatting to the Northern Ireland coach, like, like before the match being like, who knows? No, anything could happen. <laughs> and we, yeah, final set, um, standing there in the box, like watching time tick down, being like, oh my God, they've actually done it. And yeah, I burst into tears. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that that was huge because it just meant so much to them. They all work so hard and they're still quite a young squad in terms of a lot of people have come in. A lot of people have come in quite recently. There's a few girls who've been there a while, but it's a very new dynamic at the moment. And I was really proud that we'd... Like building on fifth is a huge thing. Like fifth in Europe for a very small country with a relatively small dodgeball presence is huge. Um, but yeah, to like get into the semi-finals for crying out loud was fantastic. Was that yeah, the, other... Sorry. I don't know what I was going to say. Was that the tournament and uh, where, and I interviewed Amy last year where she left her trophy at the bar? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to ask her about that when I see her next. Oh, um, it... She's going to hear about it. She's going to hear it. Yeah, she's going to, yeah. I'm just like, Amy, I don't know. Um, I'd be surprised in a way, just the setup was slightly different. So I'd have thought logistically it would have been way easier to leave her thing at the bar in Italy. <laughs> but um <laughs> oh every oh, I lost my shoes in Italy. That was like that was a heavy, a heavy night out for everyone. Um but yeah, no, so that no, that was a good one. And then I'd really enjoy te- coaching seconds. So they play in the league below Super League. Um and it's an, it's always an interesting dynamic because a lot of those lads they really want to be in the first team. So they're basically sort of sticking it out with me in the hope that the first team coaches and me will suddenly be like, oh no, actually, I think this guy could really do a job in the first team. Um, but so there's a big range in experience and skill. But um, yeah, there's just been a couple of moments, especially when like you know how much it means for the guys to feel like they're putting their weight on the team because when it all goes well, they're towards the top of that league. Like at points we were kind of like, oh, actually, can we push for promotion? That would be exciting. But it's like, actually, we're more mid-table and that's where we ended up. That's perfectly fair. But yeah, there's just little moments. A guy called Jack Breen, who plays with us, who the first few times, when he first started playing for us, every time we made a catch, he'd do a proper like, yeah! <laughs> it's just so sweet. Which is which he'll kill me because it sounds so patronising. But I do, I turn into everyone's like football mum and I'm just on the side being like, yeah, you go! <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I think great. Cer- certain people find really like, uplifting certain people find acutely embarrassing so oh, i have to like tone it down for certain people but no there have been too many good moments to name back at uni watching girls who came in and were borderline terrified of throwing a ball or being hit by a ball suddenly like pick up a ball six months later and absolutely destroy one of the men's first team in a big game at the end of the day don't get better than that <laughs> oh, clearly doesn't <laughs> what about you aiden <laughs> um, oh god, I've had a really good think here, and there's there's three matches that come to mind. So I'm gonna not waffle on about them. I'll explain them very very quickly. But then there's I think there's been kind of a connecting thread between all three of them. So the first one was um, last year at the British Open. Um, I'm not their official coach, but I was just coaching. I was kind of on the sidelines supporting our men's third team for Manchester Bees, and they were up against. I think this might have been like a an elimination, or it was a last game in a group um in a group and they were playing granite city gorillas who are the scottish champions 
And man for man, I do think the Granite City Gorillas were, were better than our third team. Um, just I think I watched this, Aiden. I, same. I watched it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was just such a fun game to play. I mean, they they play up in Scotland, I think, a really aggressive game where they, they look to open up lots of trades and they look to just charge down players and kind of defeat them with a real like sort of ferociousness rather than kind of um, closing down play, waiting for opportunities to make sort of brute throws and things like that. Um, and our team, they just had this amazing focus where they, they were hungry, they wanted it, you know, probably knew they were underdogs. Um, and they were listening to absolutely every little tactical command that we were, we were giving, um, when to take the trades, when, no, we're up now, you can just stop, close it down, and then we've got 30 seconds left in this set where we're just going to finish it slowly. Um, and they, they played it incredibly, and they ended up winning that game, which was a, a real upset. Um, which was amazing. The second one, I think, was probably the year before that in the mixed uh, league final. So the way this league worked was um, there were two groups and kind of throughout the full season, you played against uh, the teams in your group twice. And then the top two teams from each group on the last day went to sort of a, a finals day. And in the finals... In fact, it wasn't even the finals. This was the semi-finals. But um, we were playing Leamington Spartans. And in mixed, it's obviously a very, very different game to uh, the men's or potentially the women's. Um, really, really tactical. You've got to kind of think about the value of each player on court and when it's right to kind of take opportunities and make yourself vulnerable. Because, you know, if I take a risk and I get one of their be better players out, um, if I'm immediately hit out, is that always worth it? And sometimes it actually isn't, but sometimes it definitely is to get the next player out and keep that kind of uh, trade going. Um, and again, the team that we had there just executed it to perfection. And again, we ended up winning that one. Um, I'll not go through the other one, but I think basically that the games that I've just thought, wow, I've, it's been a pleasure to coach that. You've seen this sort of a mixture of hunger, focus, determination, um, and it's everyone working together for that same same cause, like a really cohesive group. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, just a real pleasure to coach those games. <laughs> it's funny, uh, when you mentioned the Granite City Gorillas matchup, me and Catherine were both watching it from like, I guess, different uh, sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. I remember, I remember just being like, oh, they're really going for this one. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I just remember thinking, like, I think it was like towards the end of day one, right? Of yeah, the be it. yeah, it that, was, that um, was that was a tough one. Just a, a great atmosphere, though. Like our boys were celebrating every little anything that went, you know, their way and things. It was a yeah, just it was rocking. I think that room then. <laughs> how how did it feel like when you made the finals the next day? Yeah, that was good. Um, I mean, we, <laughs> our team um, had played phenomenally that day. Um, the day before, sorry, to qualify. Uh, we hadn't dropped many sets at all. And again, we kind of walked through up until the final um, where London Storm had our number, the kind of wall-to-wall -wall game um, rather than kind of a net behind you. really benefited their, their powerful attacking game that day. I think they uh, they smashed us, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> no, it was 
really good overall and kind of lessons to take from it as well when we did lose. <laughs> it's, yeah, um, London, London Storm wall-to-wall. Like, what do you do? Apart from just curving a ball and hope it's over soon. I mean, especially with, um, and I, I kind of touched on it before, with Stephen Dumba. He was on another form that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was a man on a mission. Like, I was following their, their uh, matchups on day two, and the, there was a big switch in his head that went off between day one and day two, and he was like, all right, I'm going to put this whole team on my back, and we're going to – we're gonna make something of this like i saw that look i saw that like that light switch in his eyes and i was like i pray for anyone he he throws that yeah yeah so tactically they made a big switch as well because i think in the first day when we we were watching them um they were nowhere near as aggressive as the second day you know they were keeping quite a few balls back for defense and things like that whereas in that final i remember we um, we had our first like sort of runoff and quick trade against them, and we had one ball on our team. I was having that on the wing, and then um, so they had four balls, and I was like, okay, what's coming here? When where can I put pressure on and things? And he didn't even try and hide his call. Steve just looked at me and went, "Yeah, we're all going at him." Every <laughs> <single> <laughs> they they didn't hold a single kind of like ball back for defense or anything like that. Um, and that was that sort of real gungo risk-taking attitude that, that won it. I mean, I know in that opportunity, I think I, I free threw and I definitely got a hit, so it was a one-for-one trade, but the ball just bounced back, went straight back to them, and they just recycled and just started churning through. Oh, love a bit of wall-to-wall, but yeah, not against London as well. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's like arcade dodgeball, isn't it? It's uh, very different. It's so quick. I and mean, just, yeah, frantic it's fight or flight if it goes wrong. Yeah, and it just triggers that like instinct of fight or flight, and like I feel like for me that's the best way to learn how to play, because ultimately it comes down to your instincts as well as your intellect. I mean, you yeah, can be you the definitely got to train yourself out of certain things. Like, yeah, if if, if you can't do it in a crisis, it's just not going to happen on court, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, did, did anyone film that final? I'm not sure. May might be up on our club's um, YouTube. I can have a check for you. Yeah, I've been I've been looking for that for the better part of the year, and it's like uh, <laughs> I just want to relive some good times to get over this pandemic feels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, we're about to wrap this up in a bit, and um, first off, I want to say thank you guys for hopping on and sharing with us. Uh, not only what it takes, what the courses are and what it takes to be a coach, but some of your personal insight and some of your personal stories. Uh, but I also wanted to touch on a theme of this year, season five being the theme of legacy. Every guest I have on, I ask them at the end of the interview um, what you would like to leave behind as a coach, as a player, overall as a dodgeball member of the, of the family internationally. What would you like to leave behind what would you like to be remembered by by the last time you left leave the court so we'll start with uh catherine so i think a i think it's just such a fabulous theme i think especially as like with the european move to wdbf i feel like were it not for covid there was such huge energy and a real like sort of forward looking feeling i think across as you say the dodgeball family um last year so i think 
yeah, I think what the thing I, at the minute about dodgeball said, you can't separate yourself as a player and a coach or a player and a referee or whatever. So I think the main thing in terms of legacy, generally, I'd just be happy if everyone who I'd played against thought that, hey, there's a person that sort of took their outs, was did the sporting thing, was fun to play against as well as with and really sort of showed what the sport should be and what can be in terms of, I think, especially um, I listened to the episode talking about um, like marketing and the problems with schools in the US and dodgeball having a really bad rep in some places. And I think it's within our hands to turn around and be like, no, okay, but this is what dodgeball players are. So if you have kids looking up to that rather than just thinking like, oh yeah, cool, I get to leather a ball at my mate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really powerful thing. I think from a coaching perspective, I just really hope that everyone who I work with, who has given me the honor of their time and attention, feels like that was worth it in some way. Feels that like they got some benefit from putting trust in in me and it helped them with either their enjoyment, with their technique, with their goals in the sport, and that it was just a net positive it's never going to be as simple as everyone every time you interact it's all hugs and kisses and that'd be a bit weird actually it's all um yeah it's all all smiles and everyone everything i touch yeah everything i touch turns to gold but i just want to have been a net positive experience in someone's dodgeball journey i guess which sounds a bit hollywood but there we go yeah there's nothing wrong with that All right, what about you, Aiden? What would you like your legacy to be once it's all said and done for you? Um, so I think the first thing is it's about connections. You know, I play because um, it's such a lovely community, uh, both within my club and, you know, in the wider community. Um, and it's it's like a family. And, you know, I mentioned that coach who was a role model to me when I was younger, uh, Bill Bailey. If anyone could ever kind of have similar thoughts and feelings about me and the work I've done with them, then that would be enough, you know, someone who's pushed me to be better and um, on court, but also off court, kind of a better person as well, uh, more confident, more um, assertive when I need to be, um, more adaptable, more understanding, um, more focused and more driven. And yeah, if I had that effect on anybody else, that would absolutely be enough. Um, from a more selfish point of view, I'd like to keep on sort of making, you know, memories. I think if you see, speak to some older players, and I say older, loosely kind of, you know, approaching 30, just over 30 type things, you tend to hear a lot of them saying similar things. They're all really appreciative of the time they've had. Um, And, you know, it's not necessarily always about the winning and the losing. It's about the the memories you've made on the way, that sort of journey to better yourself um, and, whether that's on your own or as a club. So I think that um, from a professional's perspective, I think just, we've touched on it a couple of times, but just um, increasing the workforce um, in our country, getting more referees involved, getting more coaches who are just purely coaches um, once maybe their playing careers are over and getting them to sort of stay within the sport. Um, So I think those are the people that um, can do just such incredible work with young people and really grow our community more nice um and i can honestly say both of you guys are 
I don't want to say well on your way because we still have a lot of game to be played, but I think you guys will achieve that and more, more than, you know, um, but also, uh, didn't actually want to forget to wish you a happy belated birthday, Aiden. Um, what'd you do? (laughs) (laughs) How'd you celebrate? So, (laughs) um, I just went on a walk with a couple of friends as, as is legally allowed in the UK. Um, I mean, it's my second one in lockdown, so that's that's really gutting. So uh, you're allowed to have yeah. some friends over in the garden and things like that as of yesterday. So um, that's just some of that, I think, while the weather's nice. I think it's meant to snow in a week's time or something over here. So not that long, though. Yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to end this episode without uh, wishing you a happy birthday. Um, but also, uh, this is going to be before, and I probably said this already, before we wrap this up, any... F- any funny stories you have that you'd like to share uh, from a coaching perspective, whether it be from the national level, whether it be in any level, any funny stories you'd like to share that you've seen or have taken part of? Did you Catherine? really lose the story now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know if she'll thank me for this one or not. It's, it's all good stuff. So one of the, one of the reasons, um, I know there's a lot of us, I think have been reflecting on like our commitments, where we want to spend our time sort of after lockdown. And the one thing I would say, like echoing what Aiden said, like we just need more people, especially in coaching, because it's quite a lot if you want to play and coach at the same time. So I've been thinking a bit about where I want to spend my time, but I like, I do really want to continue like with Wales and one of the reasons is the girls just like they've been so trusting and they're so willing to buy into what I'm prepared to present so Wales sessions can like we have quite a laid-back atmosphere like everyone works really hard but it can be a bit chaotic at times so every now and then I'm not a hundred percent paying attention with what I'm telling people to do so there's two probably two examples of good things that happened at a Wales session one was Elisa is um, while ever so occasionally we butt heads slightly on court under pressure because she's very competitive, I'm very competitive. Sometimes I have to tell her things she doesn't want to hear. She appreciates it, but maybe not in the moment. She does trust me and she trusts me so much that we were doing a drill with one of the newer girls and I was like, oh, right. Elisa, so she normally plays wing and I just had a bit of a brain fart and I was like, oh, Elisa, come and play left-hand wing, which is, of course, completely the opposite of a normal position. She said absolutely nothing. Did the drill for a strong 10 minutes doing like essentially because she doesn't normally call. She's normally lead counter with Amy doing all the calling, doing all of this. And I just I was like, went and did like sorted out some other drill for some of the people came back. I was like, this just looks wrong. Like what's wrong with this picture? And I was like, it took me like genuinely about seven minutes to figure out. I was, I was like, Elisa, why do you like, hang on a minute. You don't normally play there, do you? And she was like, no, no, I don't. I was like, why didn't you say anything? She's like, well, you're my coach and I trust you. And I was like, oh my God, right. Fantastic, which is really sweet. (laughs) But equally, just a bit like, oh God, Um, (sighs) totally my mistake. And I do want her to call more. So it's her her fault for going along with it because no one knows she can do it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the other one, which is just really quick was we decided a bit before Newcastle Euros that um, Leaps of Faith, um, would be quite a, could be quite advantageous for us like especially once you get to sort of European five ball level they're a pre can be quite devastating if you use them properly so because uh, the Wales training sessions aren't particularly aren't huge like we tend to have about sort of maybe max out at say 50 people so you can all do the same thing quite easily in a big hall 
So we decided that the easiest thing to do would just be to get everyone to try leaps of faith. And I was like, all right, cool. Like sometimes I join in playing to boost numbers. Sometimes I like stand on side. I was like, oh, okay, I don't mind being a target. That was a really <laughs> stupid idea. So um, <laughs> after like two goes, I don't know if you guys, so Aiden knows Liam. Um, so a couple of our guys like over six foot tall, like when they jump at you and they're only about sort of six meters away from you and in the air and throwing full tilt, like it's not the most fun thing in the world. <laughs> but they had these big like wheelie bins in the sports hall for all your rubbish. So in the end, I spent 10 minutes of my Sunday at Wales International Training, crouched behind a wheelie bin, which is like a I didn't like the big garbage cans that you put out on the street for the garbage men. <laughs> um, crouched behind that, holding it up as it just got absolutely belted <laughs> by the Welsh International Men's Squad. And they uh, had a bit of a think about my priorities in life. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> what on earth I was doing with my time. But we did, in the end, use the leap of faith effectively at Euros. So it was all completely worth it. <laughs> Were you referring to uh, Liam Ryder? Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't start. Don't. If he says, can I suicide you for practice? Sorry, like leap of faith. Just don't agree. It's terrifying. He's a very lovely man, but it was a bit like it was a bit awful. Yeah, I'm wired the wrong way. I'll probably say, yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> what about you, Aiden? Um, okay, so this this was just a happy little memory I've got. Was always make me chuckle. Um, it was about five years ago when I was playing for our men's second team. Um, I was throwing with my other arm, actually, at the time, because I'd, ha- I'd had, like, labral repair surgery on my left shoulder, my dominant arm. Um, so that was a whole interesting challenge in itself. But... Um, we had a player on that team called Andrew Lowther, and he was just absolutely comical. I think he just had a way about him that seemed so aggressive all the time, um, until whilst he's on court anyway. When he's off court, super softly spoken, uh, quite funny, happy, easygoing chap. And I remember we were in quite a close game. Um, I think we were in Leicester playing, and he is on the wings, he's a really tall guy, uh, really long legs, fast up court for sort of counters and things. And he, as he was stepping up to counter, he kind of fainted to his right and he stepped on the boundary line. So the referee, thinking nothing of it really, calls him out. He doesn't really realise, so he carries on to go and run and counter. As he's about maybe three steps away, the referee calls him out again. And the kind of normal reaction would just be to stop. You might ask why, but, you know, you, you'd walk off. Um, he changed direction and started tearing towards the referee. And this referee was, I mean, I think she was about five foot three, and he's about six foot six. Steaming, to, steaming towards her with a dodgeball. And then I think in his head, he's like, excuse me, referee, can you explain why I'm out? Whereas what he actually did was steam towards her until he's about maybe a foot away from her and just screaming what what's that for and it was just one of those moments remember our entire team were just sort of taken out of the moment completely and we just all completely broke down laughing (laughs) so uh, that's a good moment (laughs) he got yellow carded i was gonna say i think i know who the ref was Oh man, it's the moments like that that keep us coming back. Is that right? Oh, I just want—I just want to laugh again. Like, 
like league is amazing and i enjoy playing at a high level like it's like watching the guys it's so impressive but there's just the moments where the reason i keep playing dodgeball is because there's all the really cool athletic stuff but there's also the moments where like that poor that gif of is it sam richards from spartans going to do like the best throw of his life and just stacking it over the center line and falling over (laughs) but it's at moments like that where it can be like the most tense moment ever but if something a bit slapstick happens the whole Um, room is going to wet themselves laughing because you can't take yourself too seriously because otherwise otherwise you're just like that way madness lies in this sport because it's all so personal isn't it you invest so much but yeah just yeah i had a moment where um i threw the other team blocked it. I was running backwards and the other I just saw this look of like complete horror on the opposition team. And I was like, oh my God, that's really weird. Maybe they think the other guy's going to completely like belt me with this counter. Turns out, and then it felt a ball land on my head, which was the ball that they just blocked back at me, which is just <laughs> on a complete, a complete loop. <laughs> and then smacked me on the head, but like proper like Chuckle Brothers. I never saw it. I never, I didn't even see it bounce off me. And I was just there like, I'm out, aren't I? And the whole opposition team was just like trying not to actively laugh in my face. <laughs> They're just nodding really sadly like, yes, Catherine, you're out. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> and, on that, and on that note, we will end it here. Yes. And that was my first panel interview. Um, so I want to thank Aiden Woodall and Catherine Thomas. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, uh, James Robinson couldn't make it, but I hope to have him on a future episode. So thank you for volunteering. Uh, the reason I wanted to do this, um, not only because it would be my first panel interview, but because I feel like coaching needed needs to be discussed and where better, which where better to start than where they actually have certifications and, a stringent course as far as what to go through and various levels to coach at. And I feel like that's the, the next step for the sport. Um, so thank you for everyone for listening. I'll be announcing my next guest shortly. Take care. Have a wonderful afternoon and see you next time.